If you have scripture today, we're in Acts chapter 9, and man, Ben Stewart just did a phenomenal job last Sunday cracking open Acts chapter 8, and I got to listen to that message, and I just was like, A, I'm so encouraged personally, and I'm so encouraged about that message being lodged into the heart of our house. And what we were celebrating in chapter eight was that barriers were being broken. The racial barrier was broken and Philip was able, this, this you know, ordinary guy that we got introduced to was able to take the gospel to Samaria, part of the promise. And that was a racial barrier to be broken. These were half breeds to a Jewish mindset. And God said, look, here's the thing about racial reconciliation. Are you ready for this? It is a good idea and it is a human idea and it's a decent idea. But more than any of that, it's a gospel idea. Racial reconciliation is a gospel driven idea. And you're like, well, what do you mean by that? What what do you mean it's a gospel driven idea? I mean that God created us all, A, Every race, every tribe, every language, and every tongue, we are made in the image of God. That's the beginning. And he redeemed us all. So Christ didn't come for one color of skin. He came for humanity of all colors on planet Earth and gave his life for every single one of us. And when we receive that gospel grace, we love everyone. We become brothers and sisters with all kinds of people through faith in Jesus Christ, and we're willing to go anywhere to serve anybody to share the gospel with all people because we see everyone has dignity, everyone has value, everyone is significant, and everyone stands equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what Philip's doing is what we all need to be doing. He's understanding that the engine of the gospel of grace is what breaks down the barriers of racial tension. Because it, it, it clarifies for us the value and the dignity of people. And we see that in people, not based on the color of people. And Philip tears through that barrier. And the gospel goes from Jerusalem with the Jews. And it explodes into the world of the Sumerians. And we see that happen in such a beautiful way. The next thing Philip does is he blows open the continent barrier and he meets up with an Ethiopian man and in this moment the gospel seed is planted in Africa and so I mean God is blowing doors wide open and as he's doing that we turn the page into chapter 9 and we're thinking man life is good the gospel is going forward the promise is coming true everything is happening on course but look how chapter 9 opens do you feel any change in the soundtrack to the story when you see the word meanwhile. Meanwhile. What does meanwhile mean? It means that while things look great over here, something's cooking bad back here. And that's our lives, right? We, we get on a track, we, things start working out. Has anybody got this story? Things start going good, it's smooth water. You feel like, you know, most everything's working the way it's supposed to be working. And then all of a sudden, bam, out of nowhere, something else flares up. And normally in life, it kind of comes in parallel tracks. While God's really blessing this over here, this is really hard over here. You ever experienced that in life? And it's like, man, this seems to finally, we finally got the job. We finally got settled. We finally got our kids home. We finally got over the 
the, the sickness or the disease or we finally got through the challenge or whatever. And then as soon as we're celebrating what God is doing, all of a sudden here comes this sort of equal measure difficulty. And that's what was happening in the earliest days. Chapter 8, doors are being opened. The gospel is exploding. But chapter 9, meanwhile. Meanwhile what? Meanwhile, trouble's coming. And the trouble coming is in the name of a person named Saul. We met him earlier in Acts. When they stoned Stephen to death, they laid their coats at the name of a man named Saul. And Saul was the ringleader of the persecution of the story of Jesus and those who were carrying it in the earliest days. So meanwhile, just this read a few verses, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so while we're celebrating Philip and all these amazing accomplishments that God is doing through him, we've still got Saul over here and he's threatening to kill anybody who claims to follow Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, what he's doing is he's leaving Jerusalem. He's moving north into what is Syria to Damascus, which is now the capital of Syria and has always been for centuries an important city in this region. And he's moving out to Damascus. There are Jews there. There's a synagogue there. He wants to go to the synagogue, sift through the people, and see if anybody in the synagogue has switched over to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And if so, he has authority from the religious leaders of the synagogue to drag them out of their homes, out of their businesses, back to Jerusalem and imprison them and persecute them for their faith. So the gospel is spreading, but guess what else is spreading? The hatred of the gospel is spreading as well. The light is moving forward and the darkness is trying to contain it if it can. But here's the first narrative of our story in chapter 9 that I want us to rally around today. That when all hell breaks loose, God is still solidly in control. Now, I, I want to make sure you understand. I don't, I'm not saying that colloquially today like we do in life. I'm saying that literally today. All of the power of the darkness is being released against the story of the resurrection of Jesus. It's like all hands on deck, all that we can marshal in this moment to snuff out and stamp out the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if we don't, we already can see, I'm speaking on behalf of the powers of darkness, we can already see people are getting healed, people are getting saved, thousands of lives are being changed, a church is being born, cities are being transformed. If we don't stop this now, this thing might spread around the entire world. And so a cloud of opposition is now hanging in the air and Saul is the personification of the darkness that's wanting to crush the story of Jesus. It says he asked for letters in the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, if you don't know what's coming here, this chapter is absolutely mind-boggling to me. I'll probably lose my mind at some point in this message today. I absolutely love Acts chapter 9 because 
All the darkness is now coming, persecution's coming, hardship's coming, murderous threats are being breathed out. But God wants you to know something about that day and he wants you to know something about this day. When it all looks bleak and when it seemingly all is falling apart, your God and my God is still in complete and total control of his world and of your life, of his story and of his story in your life. So immediately now, we see the murderous threats. Meanwhile, a guy's coming to kill us. And God says, yeah, well, watch this. And just like that, a light flashes around Paul. He's not even inside the city limits of Damascus yet. And Jesus stops him in his tracks and blinds him with the glory of heaven and changes the story just like that. And I want you to know today that it it may be a family that's cracked apart. You may be cracking apart. There may have been a phone call this week or a conversation this week or some diagnosis that came this week. And all of a sudden, it seems like there's just a cloud hanging over your family or in your business or in your thinking. And I'm telling you that God is a God who is in absolute total control of every situation. He didn't say, you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. He said, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say, you might receive power. He said, you will receive power. He didn't say, I might build my church. He said, I'm going to build my church. And in this moment, he just jumped in to say, don't forget, I've got the power to change it all in a heartbeat. Now, we've talked about already that there's sometimes he doesn't instantly change it. And when he doesn't, he works, he has a plan, he works in us, and he still does miracles, even when he doesn't instantly change it. But he wants us to see today that he is always God, and he is always in control, and he is always working his plan. He just stopped this story mid-sentence. He says, yes, a guy's coming, breathing murderous threats. Watch this. It's going to be amazing. Boom, light from heaven appears, and everything stops in its tracks because our God decides when and where and how he accomplishes what he wants to do for his glory and for your good. And God is committed to your good today. And he is committed to his glory today. And he is on the scene and in the story. He is at work and he has a plan and it's gonna happen. What God has planned is going to to happen for you. The second big part of this narrative journey today is that Paul ran smack in to Jesus. So we see when all hell breaks loose, God is still in control. But we also see that the pivotal pivotal moment in all of our spiritual journey is not when we start going to church, but it's that moment where we meet Jesus face to face. That's the pivotal moment in our journey. The light shines around Paul, and it's not like some nebulous, you know, I don't know what happened. I kind of felt like I was, you know, happy all of a sudden, or I had some spiritual understanding. No, it was a very specific and personal thing that happened to Paul. It says, a light shined around him. He fell to the ground in verse 4. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See how personal this gets right away? And then he replies, who are you, Lord? 
Now, I love that because we don't know that he really knows what's going on yet, but he knows something's going on that's different than he is what's going on. And when you see Jesus and when I see Jesus, that moment in your life and my life where our eyes are open to, it's really not about a denomination or a religion or a set of thinking or a set of beliefs or a path. It's really about a person. And when we see Jesus, no one, when they have that moment in life where their eyes are open to Jesus, no one says, well, what's up, bro? No one says that. No one says, wow, high fives all around. No one says that. No one says, I've always wondered what the man upstairs looks like. No one says that. Everybody says, whoa. And Paul doesn't even know who he is yet. He just knows you're bigger than me. You're higher than me. You're more glorious than me. You're holier than me. You're different than me. You're other than me. Who are you, Lord? Remember we talked about the authority of Jesus being a theme of the book of Acts? And we talked about how at the end of the day, it's not just the power of the Spirit working in our lives, but it's our obedience to the Spirit to be Lord in our lives. And I mean, Paul gets it, and he's like, who are you, Lord? And listen to the answer. It's not a long, complicated, religious answer. It's a very specific, personal answer. Jesus says, I am Jesus. (laughs) How awesome is that? And that's what you need, and that's what I need. We need a moment where it's not religion, but it is a revelation of the Son of God. And he is standing in front of you, not Saul, but you. And he's saying, Billy, if that's your name. (laughs) It would be weird if your name was Billy. That would be awesome. Thomas, Haley, Haley. And all of a sudden we're arrested in all of our trivial pursuit of life. And we realize something is bigger and more glorious and holier than we are. And he says, I am Jesus. You know, that night for me, uh, freshman at Georgia State, living a double life, uh, loving God on Sundays and loving the world on other days, being at a fraternity party not far from here, actually, in a warehouse downtown on a Saturday night, the night before bids came out on Sunday morning. I'll never forget sitting on a curb, conflicted, because I, I, I was a follower of Jesus at that age. And even though it wasn't all, you know, working out perfectly in my heart, it was still in my heart. And I left that party, went to my apartment in Smyrna, Georgia, our regular, normal, middle-class apartment that our family lived in, and going into my bedroom and laying down that night and having so much turmoil in my heart because I hadn't fully decided who. I was all familiar with the what, but I hadn't fully decided who. I could pass your pop test on information about God. I'd been to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday, and every Wednesday, our family never didn't go to church. You went to church if you were sick. You went to church if you'd broken a leg and had a cast put on two nights before. You went to church, period. I'd been to the retreats. I'd been to the conferences. I'd been to camp. I'd been on the mission trips. I sang in the youth choir. I'd done all that. I knew what the what was, but I wasn't sure about the who yet. 
And that night, this is what happened to me. I was laying down on my bed, and I was so much in turmoil that I got up out of the bed and knelt down beside my bed. I'd like to tell you that I did that every night when I was uh, moving into my freshman year of college, but that wouldn't be true. But that night, I got on my knees, and this is what I felt was being impressed on my heart. I felt like Jesus was having a conversation with me, and it simply went like this. Tomorrow is a big day for you. You are going to get an invitation tomorrow to join their way. And if you want that road, I will let you have it. But it's not the road you want. I'm inviting you right here and right now to choose my road and to choose me. That's not, parenthetically, a referendum on fraternities and sororities. That was my story that night. And I'm telling you, God is not going to stand in the way of any one of us today choosing our own road. But he is going to stand at the crossroads of that road. And he's going to say, if you want it, you can choose it. But I'm here if you want to choose me. And I am on the road that leads to everything you want in life. And that night, that night, that night, the what clarified to the who. And my response wasn't, I want to be a better Christian. My response wasn't, I want to get more involved in ministry. My response was simple. Jesus, I choose you. And the trajectory of my life changed that night by my bed. Everything shifted and everything changed. And from that moment forward, I have been far from perfect in following Jesus on that road. But from that moment forward, I have been on that road to following Jesus. And this is the moment that all of us have as the epicenter of our story of faith. If your story of faith is still the church you grew up in or the religion that you ascribe to or the denomination your family's a part of or the fact that you even come to Passion City Church, that, that's not the full story yet. The story will be full and complete when you say there was a day when everything clarified and my eyes were opened and I saw Jesus and I knew Jesus had a way for me to join him in his way. And I said, of all the ways in the world, Jesus, I choose your way. And this is what all of us are looking for. And this is the invitation that Jesus is extending to all of us in the room today. For some of you, you are on a road to a bad place. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus is on that road ahead of you. It might be like right now he's ahead of you. Or in an hour he's ahead of you. Or sometime this afternoon he's ahead of you. And he's on that road right now. And you're thinking, I'm going to Damascus and I'm going to wreak havoc. And Jesus says, right before you get to the city limits, we're going to have a conversation. And I'm going to say to you, I am Jesus. And then he clarified even more. He said, I'm the one you're persecuting, by the way. He said, you're focused on the people, but the people have had an encounter with me. They're just ambassadors of the king 
from last week's talk. I am the king that they're the ambassadors of. You're nervous about their story of resurrection? Check the scars out, man. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who triumphed over death and hell and sin and the grave. I am Jesus, and it's not them that are your problem. It's me that's your problem, because you might can kill them, but you can't kill me. You might can stop them or slow them down, but you can't stop me or slow me down. Hello, Paul, Saul, it's Jesus. It's great to meet you. And I don't know what all happened after that. I don't know how it went down after that, but I know that Saul got saved. I I don't know exactly how it all worked out in the details, but he got saved that moment right then and there. That moment he was done because he saw Jesus. He had a revelation of the Son of God. The third narrative in this story is that God wants to put us in the story. So we got that so beautifully last week, but meet another Philip. His name is Ananias. So the story goes on. You may know, he says, I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Verse five, now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. Verse seven, the men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. That's because when you meet Jesus, it's not like meeting your neighbor. So they led him by the hand. Isn't that a powerful picture of the beauty of the grace of God? You go from shaking your fist at God to having your friends leading you by the hand towards his purposes and plans for your lives. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's the breaking of the heart. It's the humility of the heart. It's the man, what was I thinking? I was running the world there for a minute. And now I just met the one who's running the world and I can't even see. I got my friend leading me by the hand. Some of you are gonna put your faith in Jesus today and your friend is gonna lead you by the hand on a journey of discovering who Jesus is for your life. And you've been thinking, no, I don't need you to lead me by the hand, bro. And today you're gonna go, would you lead me by the hand? Because I don't have a clue about Jesus, and I just met him today, and I'm going to need you to walk me into the future with him. And so they led him by the hand, blind, into Damascus. It says, uh, for three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. That's all we know about Ananias, by the way. Um, You can Google him when you get home. You can do some research and go dig around, have an archaeological field trip. This is basically what we know. There was a disciple in Damascus who had converted to faith in Christ. He had heard the story of the resurrection of Jesus. He put his faith in Christ. He was just a guy in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord called to him. This is, this is powerful, by the way. He called to him in a vision, and he called him Ananias. It's like, I know, because you just said his name was Ananias, so we know that's what he's gonna call him. But he called him Ananias. And he said, yes, Lord. Great answer, by the way. And the Lord said, go to a house, the house of Judas on Straight Street, And as for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying, and in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. How cool. Did you notice God didn't need anybody to blind Paul, but he did need somebody to give him his sight back. He doesn't need people to do anything, but he chooses people to do lots of amazing things. 
And there are people in your story right now and in my story right now, and they're praying a prayer that they don't, maybe they don't even know it's their prayer. Lord, I need help. Lord, I need an answer. Lord, I, I, I need to know what to do with my family. Lord, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through the weekend. Lord, I, I need to know whether you're real or not. Lord, I need to know uh, how, how to figure out how to talk to you. Lord, I, I need help. They're praying, and then over here, you're praying, I'm praying, and what God is a master at is connecting the prayers. And last week, some of you left praying that prayer. Lord, I'm available, and I want you to give me courage to step into the moment to take a chance and to ask the question and to care for somebody. And you didn't know that the other person was over here going, Lord, please bring somebody in my life that has enough courage to tell me what I need to hear. And then your two prayers met and then God did something supernatural and a miracle. We were at our niece's wedding last weekend in Texas and that wedding was late into the night uh, Saturday and we had family uh, being together, very special time Sunday morning. So that's why we weren't in, in the house last Sunday, but we did get back late Sunday night and I'd stopped in town and been able to lead um, a devotional moment, some encouragement for some of our women Olympic swimmers. And that had happened around maybe 7, 7.30. And then Shelly and I were headed home. And you know what you do when you're headed home at 8 o'clock at night on a Sunday night when you've been traveling all day, you do what we do, you go to Waffle House. And so we went to Waffle House. That was the easiest, best solution. We went to one in the neighborhood and there were some young people, college age people from our church coming out. And they saw us pulling in and a girl came up and knocked on the window. And so we rolled the window down and we started having a conversation. So finally I got out because that was weird for them looking in the window. So I got out, opened the door, said, hey, let's just stand and talk in the parking lot. So we got out and I said, so uh, y'all have a great night or whatever. She says, yeah, we, we, just, uh, we just take a big chance and share Jesus with that guy right there. And she points in the window. We just, we just told him about Jesus. He said, he didn't get it. He didn't want it, but we told him. And I was like, man, I like our Bastion City Church people. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Now, hopefully you weren't really annoying when you did that, and then hopefully you didn't leave a track and not a tip when you did that. Is that okay to say that? See, servers like tips. So if you're gonna leave a track, here's how you leave a track. Leave a really, really big tip. <laughs> And then when you come back, they'll be like, hi, would you like to sit in my section? I didn't like your track. In fact, I didn't read it. I threw it in the trash, but I remember you. And so I didn't know that they left the five o'clock gathering inspired and encouraged to take that risk. And they'd driven right down the street and done it. They got in the store. You're like, well, the guy didn't buy it. We don't know if the guy bought it or not. What we do know is the Spirit planted it. And the Spirit does not ever plant things that aren't in the purpose and plan of God. So we don't buy people's responses when they tell us, no, I don't want to know what you're talking about. We go, great, awesome. And then we walk away going, that's going to wreck their life. What I just said right now is going to wreck their life. Thank you, God, for letting me be in that story. We don't go home and go, man, that didn't work. Uh, I'm not doing that again. Then we go home and go, thank you, Lord, for giving me the chance to be in your story. So God didn't need Ananias because we'd already done something amazing without Ananias, but now he chooses to invite Ananias to show us that we have roles to play in the story of God. 
says, you go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. There's a guy there named Saul, not, not any Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he's looking for you because he's already seen you in a dream, a guy named Ananias, and your name's Ananias. And so when you get there, he'll go, oh, okay, this is the guy. You're going to lay hands on him, and he's going to have his sight back. Well, Ananias, just clarifying. I'm not saying he didn't believe God. He's just clarifying. Uh, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem and that he's come here to Damascus with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, like me. So I'm not saying I'm not going, I'm just clarifying. He's saying what I've said before, and I have a feeling what you've said before when God has, you know, sort of invited you into the story, you have said something similar to this three-word question, right? Are you sure? Have you ever said that? I heard you, but let me just restate. So you want me to go to Ethiopia? Oh, so you want me to go to the summer project in Nepal. Is that, is that what you were saying? Are you sure? Because you know my dad's not feeling well, and you know I don't have enough money to do that, and you know I was planning on going to summer school, and you know my mom's not going to really understand me going to Nepal for the summer, and it's dangerous in Nepal, and there's no Starbucks there that I'm aware of, and are you sure? And that's all Ananias was asking. Are you sure? Like, this guy came to kill me. But you know what Ananias' name means? It means favorite of, of the Lord. So he didn't get the last straw of the disciples. He got the first straw because he was named already favorite of the Lord. And so God said, I want to pick you because you're favorite of the Lord. I'm going to give you this amazing opportunity. You go to Judah's house on Straight Street to a guy named Saul of Tarsus. You lay hands on him. He's going to have sight. Oh, yeah, he's coming to breathe out murderous threats. But don't worry, he's blind right now. So you're going to have the advantage in the upper hand. <laughs> And the, the, the key to Ananias and the key to you and the key to me was his willingness to believe that God can change anybody at any time. That if God says you're going to lay hands on him, he's going to receive his sight, then you're going to lay hands on him, he's going to receive his sight. And see, if we don't believe that, we write off people Oh, I, that guy, oh, he's he never coming. He's never going to be on this page. Like, or we avoid people. And that guy hates me and probably would kill me if he had the authority from the chief priest to do it. I'm definitely like steering clear of them. Or we're afraid of people in our context. Like, man, our neighbor down the street, man, we're really going around there. Instead of having this sense of belief that, God, if you want me to get involved with somebody who's actually got it in their heart to, like, extinguish what I believe in, then, okay. Why? Because God can invert stories in a heartbeat. And there's no one in your life that couldn't be sitting next to you in worship this year celebrating the power of Jesus just like you did today. And you're like, oh, you haven't met my dad. No. I haven't. But I don't think he's going like, I'm going down to Jacksonville today and I'm going to arrest all the Christians. <laughs> God has power 
And our belief in that power is what allows us to step into the story. So can we just thank Ananias today for saying yes to what God asked him to do? He was real like you. He didn't go, oh, okay, great, I'm going to go there and you know, a murderer, and I'm going to go and lay hands on him. He said, are you sure? But then God reassured him. God is a reassuring God. But you ever notice God's reassuring is very short and specific. So if you're looking for like somebody to coddle you into the will of God, that's probably not going to happen. He's not going to say, oh, oh, you can do it. I know you can do it. I believe in you, Ananias. You're going to find that house. You're going to go up those stairs. You're going to knock on that door. You're going to walk through that door like a man on fire. You're going to walk on hot coals. You're going to walk across broken glass. You're going to succeed and not fail. You can do this. No, that's what your friend's telling you over coffee. God is in the conversation. And so when we say, are you sure? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, sure about what? Which part? The part that I blinded him on the road already? The part that I revealed myself to him and he couldn't see for three days? The part where I created him? The part where I rose from the dead? Which part, am I sure about which part? The part where I'm like running the universe? Uh, the part where I uh, am in charge of all things? That part, what, what part, what part am I sure? Oh, oh, yes, I'm sure. I'm real sure. And look what, how he just brings that down to such a big hug for Ananias. But the Lord said to Ananias, so here's the, the reply to the question, are you sure? Here's the reply, you ready? Verse, um, six, verse 15, are you ready? Get ready. The Lord said to Ananias, go. So I think we've sort of confused God and Dr. Phil. I think we've merged them together in our mind. And so we, we're going to get an hour on the couch. Now, he's going to tell us at the end. You know he's going to tell you at the end after four commercial breaks. But we're going to get an hour on the couch. No, he's like, yeah, real sure. Like, go. This is going to be amazing. And then he tells him why it's going to be amazing. This man, no, he's not, not going to kill you. This is what he's going to do. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So he's gonna blow it up. Samaria, that was amazing. Ethiopian eunuch going to Africa with the gospel, amazing. This guy's gonna take the gospel to all the people who don't think they deserve a chance with God in the world. This guy's gonna take the message to the worst of the worst who have no religious footing and he's gonna tell them about the grace of God. This guy's gonna stand before kings and he does a few chapters later, King Agrippa. This guy is gonna take the gospel to the whole house of Israel. This guy at the end is gonna suffer a lot for my name but he's my chosen instrument to carry the name. So Ananias went. 
He entered the house. He placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, because he knew now, okay, this guy's with us. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that you may see again, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up. He was baptized. After taking food, he regained his strength. He spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues That Jesus is the Son of God. Hello. All those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, Isn't this the same man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. He baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And Ananias is standing there with his mouth open going, Wow, wow. Wow, I just prayed for that dude. I just prayed for that guy. And now Ananias is standing in heaven going, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And in the full revelation of the end times, Ananias is gonna be just walking around going, do you like Romans? (laughs) That was me right there, prayed for that dude. Yeah, oh, yeah. Timothy, oh, yeah, I prayed for Paul. Yeah, I was praying for him the whole time. Oh, all the churches that were started? Yeah, well, you know, I went there and laid hands on him. Thank you, God, for including us in your story. But none of us are going to be included in the story if we don't believe that God can change anybody at any moment at any time. And then the last thing, it's really obvious here, but it's where we land today. The clear mission of Paul, and more importantly, the clear mission for you and me, is found in chapter 9 in this verse 15. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name. That's the sum of God's purpose for us on earth. And that's how simple it is. And so if for you, God's will has been complicated, I don't know if I should be a doctor or if I should be a missionary. I don't know if I should go into finance or if I should go into fine art. I don't know if we should go to work for this company or go to work for that company. I don't know if we should live in this town or live in that town. Listen, God isn't trying to trip you up on all that stuff. That's the enemy trying to convince you that he's not a good, good father. He's a confusing, confusing father. And we don't sing that song here. That's God trying to tell you that God's will, I mean, that's the enemy trying to tell you God's will is a needle in a haystack, and you're never going to find it. Because if you found it, you'd feel, feel confident and empowered, and God doesn't want you confident and empowered. He wants you to feel like an idiot all of your life, like you're not really sure whether you're doing what you're supposed to be doing or not. That is not God. That is not a father. That is not who he is, and that is not what he is about. You're not that way, most of you, with your children, and he's not that way with you. God is saying to you, look, you have a passion in your heart. I don't know what it is. Maybe you want to repair washing machines all your life. Well, go repair every washing machine on planet Earth. But here's the thing. That really doesn't matter. What matters is what are you carrying as you go house to house to house to house, machine to machine to machine to machine. What are you carrying there? Because your purpose in life is isn't what you do, it's what you carry. And that simplifies it for us today. And I was praying for this day, I was praying for this day that this will resolve for a lot of us today. All of the conflict, the confusion, the questions, the clouds of what am I supposed to be doing? Am I in the right job? And is God happy that, you know, I'm in fashion? Can God really get excited about that? You know, my friends are all changing the world and I'm like in fashion, you know, is God excited about that? God wants you where your passions flourish because that's where you flourish. 
flourish. And where you flourish, you live. And where you live, you spread life. But here's the thing. It's not about what you do. It's about what you carry. He didn't say to Paul, here's all the places you're going to go, all the places you're going to speak, all the people you're going to meet, all the jobs you're going to have, all the books that you're going to write. He just said, your job is to carry my name to people who don't think they deserve it, to people who think they're running the world, and to the people where you came from and your circle of influence that you grew up with in the house of Israel, carry the name of Jesus everywhere you go. And this is why this is revolutionary, because one, it blows up the whole conundrum of God's will for our lives. And you can just run after your passion that you have and feel good about it. But it also is second nature to every one of us because we are all phenomenal name carriers. And we are phenomenal name carriers because we are image bearers. We were created in the image of God to bear the image of God. And we do bear the image of God. Some of us, it's buried the image of God, but we were made to carry the image of God in the world. See, the world's not about carrying your image in the world. It's about us carrying his image in the world. And that's in our DNA. And that's why we gravitate toward names and toward brands. And that's why the world works, honestly. Because we are really good name carriers. I did a Google search, just boom, in the search bar of Pokemon Go. And in 0.43 seconds, I got 206 million replies. Somebody's talking about Pokemon Go. And you know what? It's a good thing for Nintendo that they are. Because as soon as we stop talking about Pokemon Go, guess what? Pokemon Go's. And here's the funny part of it. Nintendo's not paying us to talk about it. We're paying them to talk about it. And they're counting on you. Their boardroom is banking on you. Their shareholders are counting on you to carry their name. Oh, they can do some marketing, but word of mouth is what changes the game in our generation. Mouth to mouth is where wildfires start and spread. It's you telling your neighbor, it's you missing meals, it's you skipping classes, it's you being late for work because Pokemon Go. <laughs> I'm gonna pull over in this shopping center on the way to work because I'm about to take something down right here and right now. I might be in somebody's backyard that I don't know, but that's okay. <laughs> While I was at it, I did a quick Google search on JoJo not my Jojo, but the Jojo. Does anybody know there's a Jojo? Oh. One million replies in a half a second. Jojo Fletcher, the bachelorette. Has anybody said those words in the last week? Either Jojo Fletcher or the bachelorette. Guys, come on, be honest, men. Let's, let's hear it. This is use a safe place. A million replies. Mr. Trump, Ms. Hillary, they're counting on us to carry their names. 
Would you put a sign in the yard? Would you put a bumper sticker on the back of your car? Will you wear a t-shirt? Will you make a phone call? Will you carry my name for me? Top search 2015. I just want to know what's the number one thing people in the world searched on the internet in 2015. And it was a person. It wasn't a thing or a belief. It was a person. Kim Kardashian. The number one searched item in the universe. See, people are counting on us. And the reason why it's working for them is because we were wired up from creation to carry the name of our creator to the world. And if we don't carry his name, we're not gonna not carry any names. We're just gonna carry some other names to the world. And the story and the theme of God's calling on Paul and his calling on you is that we take up our opportunity to do whatever it is our passions do. See, see, we're God's instrument, but how do we carry that name? We carry it through whatever our instrument is. I mean, you know, maybe the oboe may be your instrument. But if that's your thing, play that oboe like a madman. If that's your thing, I mean, blow up the oboe. Don't give us, oh, Lord, please make them stop playing oboe. Give us, oh, wow, you're moving me deep down in my soul, oboe. Give us, I worked hard, oboe. I got calluses on my finger, oboe. I got reed lips, uh, um, oboe. Give us, I sacrificed, oboe. I got up early, oboe. I stayed up late, oboe. I'm oboe of oboe. I'm starting to teach other people how to play the oboe. I am an oboe master. But just realize the whole time that that's not your purpose in life. That's your instrument in life by which you get to carry the name of Jesus to all the oboe lovers of the world. Shane Kimbrough is right over there. Will you just pop up real fast and stand up so people can see you? Shane Kimbrough is a good friend of ours. And Shane Kimbrough carries the name of Jesus. You say, well, is he a pastor? No. Is he a church planner? No. Is he a worship leader? No. Is he a professional Christian? No. But he's a great name carrier for Jesus. He's a man of incredible character, incredible integrity, with a phenomenal family, and he leaves a ripple of Jesus in the fabric of the world that he travels in, and he's a name carrier for Jesus. And in a few weeks, Shane's gonna carry the name of Jesus to the International Space Station, because he's an astronaut, and he's going on the Soyuz rocket into space in a couple of weeks from now. So come on, get up in the middle of the night and get online. Because in that rocket is going to be going the name of Jesus. Not just an astronaut on mission to do great scientific work and to help advance humanity and our understanding of life. But in that rocket is going to go a heart that's beating for the one who made it all. And so this is the plan. Go to 
East Side Middle School. Go to the laundry room if that's where you're going, but carry the name to the laundry room, carry it to the boardroom, carry it to Ernst & Young if you're going to Ernst & Young or EY, whatever you call it now. Go there, carry the name of Jesus there. Carry it to the Ivy League, carry it to the major leagues. We got guys sitting in here in the major leagues. Carry the name of Jesus to the major leagues. We got people in the captain's seat. I meet them on Delta all the time. Nice to meet you. I go to your church. Great, awesome. Glad you're flying the plane today. And I'm glad that Jesus is up in the captain's seat on the plane. So you're not just a left seat or a right seat on an airplane. You're a name carrier on an, aim, on an airplane. And that doesn't mean that you have to uh, have a scripture verse when you do your call signal coming into the air traffic controller. It just means you live your life in such a way that the effect of Jesus is felt in the people around you. Some of you going to the dentist chair. Some of you going to the homeless shelter. Some of you going to Hollywood. Go to Hollywood. Some of you going to Dollywood. Go to Dollywood. It doesn't matter where you're going. It's not where you go. It's what you carry. And we all have the power and the privilege to do what we love for the purpose of advancing the name that we love and the one that we love in this world. And this is how simple life is. And so if you're doing something today that you can't carry the name of Jesus in, you need to stop doing that. That's how it works. So you probably can't go into your, uh, your drug house with your friends and carry the name of Jesus in there today unless you are healed from that, standing up on your feet from that, restored from that, strong from that, equipped from that, called from that, maybe with a friend to step back into that and say, hey guys, I'm here, I've been there, I've blown the same stuff you've blown, I've cooked the same stuff you've cooked, I've been down the same holes you've been down, but I tell you, I met someone one day and he wasn't a denomination, he wasn't a religion, he was a person and his, said his name was Jesus and wow, he's changed it all. So you don't have to be uber professional, you just have to have a story of what happened to you when you met Jesus. And once you have that story, then you just carry that name. And I'll say it a thousand times. You don't need a fish on the back of your car. Um, you don't have to wear a Christian t-shirt everywhere we go. You don't have to leave a track in every restaurant. It's how you treat people. It's your attitude. It's the way you spend your money. It's the way you invest your time. It's the way you notice people around you. It's the way you go out of your way to care about people who somebody else didn't care about. It's, it's life that's different is how you carry the name. And then obviously doors are gonna open. They're gonna open. They're gonna, God's just gonna put people right in front of us. King, he puts King Agrippa right in front of Paul. Not, it wasn't even planned for King Agrippa to really be on Paul's path, but boom, situation happens. He just happens to be in town. King happens to be in town. You're gonna talk to him tomorrow. Great. And so it comes true and he stands before the king and his message is just lights out. Oh, he, he did die at the end of the story. He does die at the end of the story for the name of Jesus because God was gonna show him what he had to suffer and he's gonna show us what we have to suffer too. And you're like, well, I don't wanna suffer. Why can't I just carry the name? I'll tell you why. Because the name of Jesus isn't like carrying the name of, uh, I don't know what name you're carrying, Auburn Tigers. People go, I don't like that, I like this, but they're not gonna go, I'm coming to your house tomorrow and arresting you. They're not gonna do that. It's not like carrying the name of a, a brand of clothing. Oh, did you get that at Zara? Well, I hate Zara and I hate you. You're not gonna get that. You're just gonna get, eh, I don't like Zara. 
But the name of Jesus split open hell and shut down all their plans forever. The name of heaven divides the light from the dark. The name of Jesus divides the light from the dark. The name of Jesus divides angels from demons. The name of Jesus separates heaven from hell. The name of Jesus is the name that makes the demons tremble. And when we carry that name, we are going to create spiritual turbulence everywhere we go. And we're going to make sure that the turbulence is because of the name and not because of us. We're going to be the kindest people, the most loving people, the most gentle people, the most humble people. How would we be anything else having received what we have received from God? But now if the name of Jesus causes things to blow up, let it blow up. But I'm going to carry that name respectfully, humbly, gently, authentically, purposefully, because he is the greatest thing I've ever found in my life.